Welcome to Orphan Entertainment, the podcast dedicated to public domain and abandoned media. I'm your host, Christopher, and with me, of course, is the woman whose brains have been sought after by many an evil genius. It's Lydia. <laughs> it's all because the laugh, isn't it? I always get that about the laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta make you giggle. Yeah, uh, you know. <laughs> Welcome back, Lydia. I've missed you. It just, it always feels like it's been so long when it really hasn't. <laughs> it's usually about a month. That's kind of a long time, but I miss you too. Feel- oh, well, thank you. <laughs> Uh, this is exciting. This episode will mark our fourth year podcasting. Unbelievable. That is hard to believe. I, I'll admit that I'm not sure I figured we'd still be doing this <laughs> four years but, no, later. No, it's totally fair. Well, and the thing is, it's got it's kind of one of those weird things where it's gone so quickly. Like, it hasn't. It's been forever. <laughs> right. But, but then it's like, well, oh, gosh, we've already done that many episodes. But no, I'm I'm with you. I think so many podcasts tend to to fail within the first year that it's pretty remarkable that we've made it this far. Yeah. Well, I've had such, we've had so much fun on this and we've uncovered some really fun films (laughs) or some very interesting films (laughs) and radio shows. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And we've, we've uncovered a stinker or two. (laughs) (laughs) But most of them are fun. They are fun to watch, even if they're not all that great. Well, to all our listeners that have been with us, I, I wonder if there are any listeners that have been with Ooh, us. I'd for like all to know that. <laughs> that wonderful to know. I'd love to know. Uh, all those listeners, I and those who maybe just coming to the podcast or have just come recently, I just want to re- thank everybody first off because it's absolutely awesome the, that you that you listen. Mm-hmm. And just to remind you, all the places that you can listen to the podcast, we are, of course, on iTunes. Uh, we are in Google Play. If you have the, the Android or you don't like iTunes, you're anti-Apple. That's okay. <laughs> or if you just listen. never got on the train like me. <laughs> exactly. And uh, I, I think, you know, we're, wherever you can find podcasts, we're probably there, too. Uh, if there is any place that you can't find us, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll rectify that right away. Also, let us know how you're listening to this, if there's some place you can find Yeah, us. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we are on Facebook. We have a group over there on Facebook where we, not a whole lot to post about. Occasionally, little news p- tidbits come up that are related to our, uh, our genre, our, our niche. And, of course, I also post when our new episodes are coming up and what we're going to be talking about on future episodes. And if you want to watch any of the films that we're going to cover... You can subscribe to our YouTube channel where I'll throw those up uh, usually within a week or two, maybe even more, uh, before we actually record. So let's see. That's about it. Oh, uh, shameless plug for myself. Speaking of um, yeah, of, of, of podcasts, <laughs> and, and, and I can only hope it'll, it, it'll last four years, uh, I launched another podcast called the Time Shifters Podcast. You can find us over at timeshifterspodcast.com. It's actually kind of a relaunch of an old podcast, but I got, I got, I got a fresh new co-host, Matt Flynn, who has been awesome. We've had some really great discussions, and I'm having a lot of fun. We're going to talk a little bit about a little bit of anything and everything. It's going to be published twice a month. Uh, it'll either be myself and Matt, or myself, Matt, and maybe another host, or myself and uh, another podcaster. I've, I've done a couple of shows already with some uh, some other podcasters. And just, you know, whatever their niche happens to be, whatever their subject that their podcast talks about, we get on there and just kind of shoot the breeze on it. And so far, it's been a lot of fun. So uh, if anyone wants to listen or maybe hear about a film that 
you know, isn't out of 60 years old <laughs> or out of copyright <laughs> or out of copyright uh, maybe just click over to time shifters and i'd you know and, and if you do go there and because you've heard about it here let me know <laughs> that'd be awesome i guess that's it that's all the housekeeping so we are going to take a short break we're going to give you another five minute mystery and a promo for another wonderful podcast maybe one of the podcasts from one of the people i've spoken to over on time shifters and we we come back, we were going to discuss a film I think is perfect for this October month, you know, being so close to Halloween. This is going to be Jesse James meets Frankenstein's daughter. Another five minute mystery. and you'll behold the Brooks household. Two whole years, Jim. It just doesn't seem possible it's been so long. You and Dorothy married and with a place of your own. That's true, all right. Only too bad you haven't taken advantage of the old Brooks hospitality sooner. Well, I'm here now, and I intend having a perfectly wonderful time. Ah, Here we are. Oh, what a charming place this is. Uh, Dorothy's probably on needles and pins waiting for me to get you here. Uh, Darling, it's Jim. Here's Alice. Jim, look. What? Where? They're on the living room floor. It's Dorothy. Dead. Mr. Brooks, I'm afraid you and Miss Manning will have to submit to some routine questioning. Well, I'll be happy to help in any way I can, Inspector. (sighs) Thank you, Miss Manning. Now, Mr. Brooks, while we're waiting for some information I phoned for, I want you to tell me exactly what happened this morning. There's nothing much to tell. Both my wife and I were quite excited, expecting Alice, that is, Miss Manning here, and... To visit us from Chicago. I was to wait until she called me at the office. And you were there all morning? Yes, until Miss Manning's train arrived and we came out here. Well, I had written Mrs. Brooks instead to telling her that I'd call Jim at the office as soon as I arrived. The train was an hour later. We could have been here early and maybe have prevented this. Oh. Well, that remains to be seen. Apparently, Mrs. Brooks was sitting here in this chair putting red polish on her fingernails when she was shot from behind. The polish has spilled all over the carpet, and she was still holding the tiny brush in her hand. She must have recognized her attacker, and since she did not die instantly, she printed these three initials here on the floor with the polish. D-O-C. D-O-C. I wish we could tell whose initials she was trying to reveal. You're sure you don't know anyone whose name would fit that? Well, positive, I can't. Uh, why, why, that's... Yes, Miss Manning? Can you think of somebody with the initials? Well, I... D-O-C spells Doc, and it's Mr. Brooks's nickname. Well, it can't be. Yes, I Mr. Have... Brooks? I haven't been called Doc for over two years. It, it was a nickname I picked up in school. My wife didn't like the name and never used it. Nobody in New York even knows me by the Doc. You've got to believe me, Inspector. It's the truth. Mm, well, that we'll see. Just a minute. Hello? Yes, Grady? Yes? I see. Well, it's sewed up anyway. Thanks. Well, you both will be happy to know our little murder is solved. Oh, then then it wasn't Doc after all. No, Miss Manning, it wasn't Doc. I'm arresting you, Miss Manning, for the murder of Dorothy Brooks. 
Why did the inspector arrest Miss Manning for the murder of Mrs. Brooks? In a moment, we'll hear, but first... We let things pile up in the DVR. We add them to our queues. We wait for the DVDs and Blu-rays. We time shift. The Time Shifters podcast. Sci-fi, horror, fantasy, superheroes, comedy, action, film, television, maybe some not-so-current events. Find us on iTunes or at timeshifterspodcast.com. Your train wasn't late, Miss Manning. That phone call just verifies the fact. You came out here, murdered Mrs. Brooks, returned to the station, and called Mr. Brooks to pick you up. But that wasn't what really gave you away, Miss Manning. Too bad you didn't know Mr. Brooks was no longer called Doc when you printed those letters on the carpet. The next time you leave a name as a clue to throw suspicion, you'd better get the name right. But of course, there won't be a next time, will there, Miss Manning? Welcome back. Jesse James meets Frankenstein's daughter was a low budget Western horror mashup horror in quotes, maybe not exactly what you'd call scary. (laughs) It was released in 1966 and was released as part of a double feature with Billy the Kid versus Dracula, which is a film I've not yet seen. That's always one I've been meaning to look up. I haven't either. And if I'd realized it was a double feature. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I really feel like I need to watch these two together. The film was shot in about eight days at the Corriganville Movie Ranch and at Paramount Studios and was, along with Billy the Kid, one of the final feature films of director William Bodine. Bodine was an extremely prolific director uh, working on film and television. He was often entrusted with entire series of films like Charlie Chan and the Bowery Boys. <laughs> He saw equal success in television, directing scores of episodes of uh, shows like The Green Hornet and Lassie, among many others. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you mentioned la- my husband treated me to Explorers, which is like a 1985 movie. And there's a point right. where the alien says, uh, it took, I, I watched five episodes of Lassie before I understood why the furry little kid never talked. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, uh, just you said last scene, it reminded me of that, but moving That's on. <laughs> yes. At the end of the 60s, he was Hollywood's oldest working professional, having started in the industry in 1909. Wow. He was, yeah, he worked for a long time. I don't think he, he finally, I think he passed away uh, in the early 70s, 1970, maybe, 69, 1970. Some uh, actors in the film I wanted to bring up 
Jim Davis plays a somewhat minor minor role in the film. He plays Marshall McPhee. <laughs> he was born Marlon Davis. He actually had his first major screen role opposite Betty Davis, no relation, and the 1948 film Winter Meeting. This was a, a fairly lavish production and a huge flop. <laughs> he was uh, apparently shredded by critics for not being experienced enough to do the role justice. You know, I don't know how you would put anybody who didn't have a lot of experience under their belt in front of or, or next to Betty Davis and expect a good outcome. <laughs> or expect a, a matched outcome. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. His film career after that consisted of mostly B-movies, many of them westerns. He plugged away and appeared in many minor roles on screens, big and small. But his most well-known role is probably that of Jock Ewing on Dallas, which debuted in 1978. He starred as a fam- family patriarch for about four seasons until his health declined so severely uh, he was diagnosed with multiple melanoma uh, that he had to leave the show. That was unfortunate. T- towards the end, he was it was getting so bad you couldn't even understand him. They actually had to dub his last lines. Wow. It's really sad. It From the late 1970s until his death, Davis was also the voice actor in the commercials for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. <laughs> So when you think of the slogan, beef is what's for dinner. <laughs> awesome. That is, that just never, I, it didn't click for me. It didn't even occur to me. Like, so I just didn't recognize his voice. After his death, uh, Robert Mitchum, I think took over the voice role, you know, did the slogan. But up until that, up until his death in, um, I guess early eighties, um, it was, it was him. I thought that's really cool. That was interesting. The film also stars John Lupton as Jesse James. We have Narda Onyx as Maria Frankenstein. Estelita Rodriguez as Juanita. This was her last role before dying of undisclosed reasons. Yes, I I, uh, caught that as well. Yeah, I read somewhere that they think it may have been just some sort of, uh, like, died of pneumonia or something like that. But it was was all mysterious. Cal Boulder as Hank Tracy. Now, his real name was Earl Craver. He was a Marine and then a Los Angeles motorcycle policeman. And it was in 1959 when he was issuing a traffic ticket to Robert Raisin, who was a Hollywood agent. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Raisin introduced him to a friend and fellow agent, Henry Wilson. Now, Henry Wilson, we talked about, oh, you and I didn't talk about it. I I talked about it with over Pete Quint. Henry Wilson was the agent who created Rock Hudson's stage name. Interesting. Yes. So he changed Craver's name to Cal Boulder. <laughs> he said in a later interview, uh, I, I quote here, I try to get a name that looks like the guy. He's a big Western type guy. And that sounds it. <laughs> it, it. It does sound like him. Yeah. Apparently it was a mix of Cal for California and Boulder just because of the guy's physique. Yeah. Because the guy was built like a Boulder. Well, he is. He is. His first <laughs> shots in this make that very apparent. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Very much. So that's all the little bit of trivia and the backstory I had on the films. So I guess we can go ahead and get into some plot. The film opens up and we meet a distraught family. These are the Lopez's. They're the last people in their small town. Everyone else has left. And daughter Juanita uh, returns home after trying to visit her sick brother, uh, Francisco, who's been at the house, quote unquote, <laughs> Uh, but was turned away at the door, so she didn't get this, a chance to see him. 
The parents try to explain that the recent deaths and misfortunes the town have suffered are, are, you know, all God's will. But Juanita is fiery sort, and she wants answers. And she is sure it has something to do with the people that are in the house. This house, I think, is actually, they describe it as an old mission Mm -hmm. that's been taken over by this, uh, by a couple of uh, doctors that will be introduced here in a minute. The the family can't leave without Francisco. And so they're going to have to wait and pray. Wait and pray. (laughs) Well, now we meet. Quote. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, now we meet the occupants of the house. As they marvel at an electrical storm, they are scientist Maria and her brother Rudolph. And immediately becomes clear that these two are up to no good. A young man is strapped on a table, and we uh, we can assume this is Juanita's brother, Francisco. Oh, I love, I have to say, I love this first shot with him, though. It's got the flapping shutters that are going in the storm. <laughs> that are just flapping just perfectly like they're on a wire. <laughs> I, it, it's, this is not a high-budget movie. <laughs> and they flap just no. a little bit too much, just enough to be really distracting. <laughs> yeah. Well, switchers are thrown, and electricity is sent through the man via a helmet apparatus. Which looks an awful lot like like an early motorcycle gang helmet or like, honestly, I thought like a Nazi helmet. (laughs) It just, the helmets that they're using, you know, aside from the very strong accents that they have were very, um, you know, considering it was the sixties and all, I felt like it was very, um, reminiscent of a Reich. Oh, okay. I was thinking that the helmets being how colorful, they were bright yellow <laughs> and red were. and everything. It's so weird. I was like, these are two cup holders away from one of those, you know, gag hats you buy at the, ball, the ballpark. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's this bizarre kind of mixture. So I guess it depends on what your focus is, what they remind you of. <laughs> well, the man sits up momentarily, but then collapses. And uh, the woman has Rudolph fetch some sort of injection of a special chemical. Uh, but instead he fills a syringe with poison and the man dies. Maria consults her notes, her grandfather's notes, and decides what they need is a living brain to jumpstart a dead one. What a fool I've been. I've allowed the duothermic impulsator to be attached only to the body. Let's see what grandfather's notation says. You see... The duothermic impulsator must also be attached to a living brain to transmit living vibrations to the artificial brain. But such a powerful electric impulse might prove fatal to the brain of a living person. That chance I am willing to take. Rudolph is trying to convince Maria that they've already gone too far with these experiments. They've caused too many deaths, but Maria is determined. In her possession is the last artificial brain her grandfather created. Her grandfather, Frankenstein. Nobody else knows how to make them. No. Oh, that's right. She says that no one, yeah, the, 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 the secret died with them. Apparently he didn't keep that good of news. <laughs> well, Rudolph doesn't want to go on, but Maria reminds him that he has nowhere else to go as they are wanted uh, pretty much everywhere, especially over in, I guess, their their home city of Vienna. I like how they explain why they're here in this completely random Mexican town. <laughs> they say, yes. they, you know, they talk about, oh, these electrical storms are amazing. And I think at one point she says that the gods are conspiring to have electrical storms all the time there. 
And mm. uh, but it's interesting, you know, she's like in Vienna, we'd have to wait months for a storm like this. So, I mean, okay, they they, they explained it. All right. South America is Try to get having, a little bit. Of- well, yeah. And South America is known for having some of the most spectacular lightning storms. So, mm-hmm. you know, almost you know, fairly not really Mexico, but you know, fairly plausible <laughs> explanation, at least. Sure. <laughs> Well, Maria describes the type of man that she'll need for her next experiment. He will need to be big and strong. Strong as a child. Whatever that means. Wait, strong as a child? (laughs) Isn't that what she (laughs) said? No, she says giant. No wonder you were confused. Oh, boy, yes. (laughs) No, they keep saying they've been struggling because they've been having to use children's brains and they've been burying these children at night so that people don't see what's going on with them. That's why it did make sense. And no, she says he needs to be strong as a giant. But she does sound like, yeah, a child. It does, you know. So that's a good explanation or a good example of how strong of accents that they have. Yes, There are definitely moments when I thought, "Mm, somebody you know, who's not used to accents listening to this is going to have a real hard time. And apparently that is like a legitimate accent for her. She actually was from, uh, forget what country she came from. She actually escaped the Nazis. Yeah, with a name like Narda Onyx, she kind of has yeah. to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> but I'm just like, I just want to point out it's not a fake uh, Germanic accent or whatever it is supposed to be it yes. looks like it, it looks like she was a child actress in estonia so estonia sir- thank you that was it mm-hmm. well we jump to another town where we find a big and strong man <laughs> in a, a fight boulder with a, of a man <laughs> a boulder of a man you might say he is in a fight with a slightly less big and strong man uh, and the winner is Hank. Well, now, and the f- tell me if this wasn't confusing to you. Sure. At one point, the one guy says, come on, Stacy, this is the time. And then the other guy's like, that's Hank Tracy. So you got Stacy and Tracy fighting each other in a fist fight. <laughs> and I thought, now, who came up with these names, really? <laughs> yeah, that could be a little confusing. Or, you know, I'm curious to know, and I should have looked into this, if that was a real person and a real event or taken from. Oh, what, Stacy and Tracy, a fighter? Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, sure. Well, the winner of this fight is Hank, as we find out his name is. And this was the whole fight was set up as a bet by his pal, Jesse. The saloon owner tries to double cross him and not pay up, but once discovers that he may well be facing down the Jesse James, oh, uh, well, he's not brave enough to, and hey, goes ahead and hands over to money. I, li- I like that one of these first lines that Hank gives, he says, I beat your man fur and squirrel. <laughs> yes. <laughs> actually, I think my favorite part, he, he actually, the, the fight is a pretty dragged down fight. Both the guys it look is. like they're almost on the edge of exhaustion and Hank's down on the ground and Jesse leans down. It's like, Hank, you lose this. We're plumb broke. And Hank says, what makes you think I'm losing? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they seem pretty equally matched and then Hank pulls yeah. one out of his hat and Lays the guy out. Yep. Uh, then we, uh, let's see, we cut to a small shack somewhere in the mountains, and we meet the Curry brothers. One of them, uh, Lonnie, he isn't too happy about Butch having called in Jesse James to help with some job without talking it over with him. Now, that gets him a slap across the jaw, and Butch thinks that this job is just too big for just him and the other gang member, Pete. Uh, Pete's out on the lookout, by the way. In rides Jesse and Hank, and introductions all around. Lonnie isn't so sure whether this is the real Jesse or not, because apparently this film kind of plays on the 
theory that Jesse James wasn't killed when they say Jesse James was killed. And there was rumors that he was still roaming around kind of uh, secretly. But uh, so this takes place shortly after the quote unquote death of Jesse James. Well, Lonnie here, he tries to test him by doing a quick, uh, a sly draw on him. But Jesse is uh, still a heck of a lot quicker and shoots the gun right from Lonnie's hand. So now that everyone has settled down, plans are made. We're going to take delivery of $100,000 there. $100,000? I thought you liked the idea. It's an awful lot of money. You sure? Lonnie's sparking a girl that works at the bank. And when the bank gets fat to the tune of $100,000, they transfer it to Fort Buchanan. And later on, it's sent back east by the Army supply train. Right, Lonnie? That's right. My word has always been good enough for the wild bunch, Mr. James. No, huh? No, huh? That's an awful lot of money in one place at one time. Jesse and me have looked down many a gun barrel for a lot less than that. Hey, eh, Jesse? Right, Hank. Seems to me anybody shipping that much money through a narrow pass would figure that's a natural place for a holdup. That's the way the bank figures it, too. And that's why they send their stagecoats on through the pass with passengers and no money as a decoy. Decoy? That's right. When the first stagecoach gets through, they signal a second stagecoach that's always clear. That's the one we'll be waiting for, with the money and no passengers. Simple and sweet, ain't it? What's the matter? Don't you like it? That's yeah, too simple. What's the hitch? No hitch. The second coach has only a driver and a shotgun. And we'll hit them so fast they won't know what happened. I'd still like it better if we had more men, but I think we got enough to do it. Are you game? Want to try it? You know me, Jesse. Whatever you say. Well, I didn't ride 300 miles for my health. Now, and it's interesting. I, again, you know, I I kind of mentioned being curious about Hank being a real person, but Lonnie and Butch are actually based on real people. So, is Lonnie? I wasn't sure about he Lonnie. Is. I knew obviously Jesse. Yep, was he was known as Butch. He was known as Kid Curry. He basically did oh, okay. actually ride with the Wild Bunch. Oh, nice. All right. But I think that's pretty much the extent of <laughs> the reflection yeah. of reality and history here. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, yeah, the local bank's going to be shipping out $100,000 by stagecoach. That's a lot of money in 1880-something yeah, there. in today's, I did the math, in today's money, that's $16 million. That's a large <laughs> change. It really is. The average person in this day, the average male in, the in well, I looked up 1885, made $71 a year. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so it is a lot of money. You can see why a lot of men went to crime. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Paid better. <laughs> well, despite some reservations about the job, Jesse goes ahead and signs up. Sometime later, we find Lonnie talking to the local law, Marshall McPhee. He's trying to turn in Jesse for any reward that might be a- available. Lonnie says he's going straight, or so he claims. So he claims. <laughs> Reluctantly, McPhee agrees with Lonnie's plan to catch Jesse at the stagecoach robbery. Now, this if you are telling me that this is worth, what you say, $16 million? Something like that. Yeah. 
this goes to show that Lonnie isn't the sharpest stick in the bunch. He's not. He's settling for half of what he would get if they actually did. Right. Because, you know, they have that conversation where he says, I'm getting a third. And then, you know, Butch says, you're getting what I tell you you get. And then they end up breaking it up into fifths, which is still $20,000 right. per person. And he yep. and Lonnie's going to settle for the $10,000 reward for Jesse. So, yeah, it's kind of a... He, I'm not sure if he's just mad at Jesse or if he's just not very smart. See, if he was smart, he'd do the job, get the money, and then, and turn, then turn in, in Jesse. Or at least just get the money. <laughs> or shoot him. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Then just shoot Jesse, take his share. <laughs> <laughs> turn it into quarters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the gang arrives at the past and gets ready to jump to stagecoach. Everything seems to be going as planned, but the marshal and his men got there first. Yeah, I, I do like to there. It's I think it's worth noting. You know, we've already talked about how you know the marshal. You know, the actor is not known for great acting, but he there is this you know moment between him and Lonnie where Lonnie's like, oh well, haha, better get back to the other guys, and he goes to shake the marshal's hand, and the marshal physically brushes him off, and I. Oh, there's even a better line coming up. Oh, there well, too. <laughs> but I, I did like I, I, I like that they it's worth noting that in this whole movie, there's not there aren't a lot of very poor actors. No, no, there, honestly, there, really isn't. there are there's one notably poor actor and then there's one notably poorly written part, in my opinion. <laughs> um, and, and I can go ahead and say there's during the explanation of this heist. Butch is doing most of the talking and it is kind of hard to listen to. Mm. He's, I, I would say the one character that you're just kind of going, Hmm, whose friend yeah. is he? He was somebody's <laughs> friend. <laughs> you know, wonder whose friend he was, but right. moving on, the sheriff yeah. does get there ahead of them. That's right. Or, it's the, so marshal, it, sorry. the marshal. Yeah. And they ambush the ambush shots are fired and Butch and Pete go down. Lonnie tries for a shot at Jesse but Hank takes the bullet for him. Like Jesse him. and Hank still manage to get away. McPhee decides he needs to go after Jesse. Lonnie wants to go along. He wants the reward and a chance to shoot Jesse he, Jesse James. And this is the what I oh, really I like love. I'm going to play. <laughs> I want to thank you, man. Now you better get back to your jobs and your homes. What about you? My job's going after those two. And I can't say I like it very much either. I'm going with you, Marshal. You want that reward pretty bad, don't you, Lonnie? Yeah, I want that 10000 But I want to see Jesse James' eyes looking right at me when I shoot him. I never figured you'd try to shoot Jesse James from the front, Lonnie. All right, let's get these two men in the stagecoach. Get them back in town. Yeah, I I love that. It, honestly, my husband was kind of half listening, not really paying attention. And when he, when the marshal says that, he went ooh. <laughs> I didn't even think he was listening. You know. <laughs> well, poor Hank isn't doing too well. Uh, luckily, Jesse stumbles across the Lopez family. They finally did leave their house. They are camped out in the woods. They allow him to rest with him for a spell. Juanita plays nursemaid, and she realizes, if not who, what Jesse and Hank are and understand that they can't go into town. I love this explanation, too. So Hank's shot, and they say, oh, he's, yeah, oh, he says, well, my friend's sick. We'd like to come stay with you. And they say, okay. And then they, you know, have a little short discussion, and they do a bit of Spanish in this, um, just amongst the family. So anybody that speaks Spanish, love to know exactly what they say here. But... Um, you know, when they, and then when they come back, they say, he's been shot. 
And I love Jesse's explanation. He says, oh, he was cleaning his gun and shot himself. <laughs> and, uh-huh. and every time he uses that explanation, everybody, everybody kind of goes, mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 they don't actually make that noise, but their faces are all just like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, sure, it did. Well, the, <laughs> the first time Jesse says it, it's almost, well, he, uh, he shot himself. Yeah, he's cleaning his gun. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And the reaction is, <laughs> yeah. correct. It's almost like John Lovitz. Yeah, yeah, that's the ticket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Juanita offers to take them to the doctors, uh, which, uh, you know, of course, the doctors of the house overlooking her town. She and Jesse sneak Hank away from her parents in the middle of the night. Yes, because uh, the Lopez's forbid her to go anywhere near the town or go near the doctors. But uh, she realizes that Hank's going to die without some sort of help, so she goes ahead and sneaks off. Come morning, McPhee and Lonnie find the Lopez's camp and figure out that Jesse was there. Which, this is another thing where it kind of plays into, there was a, a, a myth that Jesse was sort of a uh, Old West Robin Hood that would rob from the rich and give to the poor. But apparently there was actually no evidence that the James brothers ever gave any of their loot to anybody other than the themselves. James brothers. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyway, they find a, a stack of coins there on the ground, and that's how they figure that it must have been Jesse leaving the Lopez family some money for their trouble. Or their daughter. Or, and for their daughter. <laughs> sorry, sorry, just wow. popped into my head. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, further ahead, the trio of uh, Jesse, Hank, and Juanita have stopped to rest when Juanita is kidnapped by an Indian. Like you do. And... Pardon me for using the the terminology of the film. <laughs> no, it, and honestly, I I actually wrote that down too. Typically, I would say Native American, but this is as close to a spaghetti western as you can get without being a spaghetti western. And it, it's an it's an engine. I actually, in one point, wrote engine. So, <laughs> engine. So, <laughs> these are these are not representative of the <laughs> the native populace of the time. I don't think. No. <laughs> oh. Well, Jesse finds her, and after a struggle, kills the kidnapper. Well, and I this is another one I love. I actually wrote down musical Indian horses. Because oh. <laughs> here's another one of those little, you know, um, production values that's lacking. There is a lot of rough music cue rough music cueing going on here. So there's, you know, they're they're walking through the I don't know, the wilderness, wherever they are, after her being saved from him, you know, and they're kind of hanging on to each other and it's okay. And then all of a sudden there's music and horses with Indians on them, right? But there was no music before. It they're musical horses, I swear. <laughs> they just carry their soundtrack with them. So <laughs> and then after that, it's oh you saved my life, you know. I somehow hiding from them was more impactful to her than actually physically being saved and him killing somebody. So, but I do love the musical horses. Yep. Very good. <laughs> yep. Well, and uh, per the code of the West, if someone saves your life, you fall in love with them. So Juanita and Jesse share a Take kiss. A smooch. Now this is probably a, a fantastic example of padding. This was the, oh, our movie's 10 minutes short. What can we do? <laughs> and there really, and there is no other mention of Indians or Native Americans or anything throughout the rest of the movie. Nope. No significance to the scene him, yeah. whatsoever. Yep. I, I, maybe that was the explanation of why she does fall in love with him. Yeah, they just needed something, I yeah, guess. I suppose. <laughs> well, they arrive at Juanita's old home, and Jesse goes ahead and takes Hank up to the doctors. Juanita stays behind at her at her 
hovel. Uh, <laughs> her home. <laughs> her home, sorry. <laughs> well, Maria takes one look at Hank and is extremely happy to help. <laughs> I love the slow up and down she does, too. Oh, it's, just, yeah. it's just classic. <laughs> Still on the trail, McPhee and Lonnie arrive on in the town and somehow know exactly which house to knock uh, to knock the, on the well, door. It's worth mentioning every house in this entire village is there were, actually there are a few things going on here, but every house in this village is empty except for the one. But I don't remember anybody mentioning, oh, there's a light in that house or anything no, like that. Smoke in the chimney, nothing. And, no. and it is worth mentioning, I think, that you know, as they take Hank in to Maria's house to lay him down on, you know, the table and everything. And Jesse goes off to take care of the horses. And I love, there are a few things in this that really, <laughs> Maria's smart. She's evil, but she's smart. <laughs> and I love that she says that if you take the horses to the lower um, stables. stables, thank you. If you take them to the lower stables, they'll be completely hidden. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's been saying, oh, our friend has this accident. You know, he accidentally shot himself. And she's like, oh, you can hide. Yeah. <laughs> she's just you know nothing gets by her yes and i'll take care of your friend's womb that he got from wink wink cleaning his gun yes, exactly. <laughs> I love, every time she talks to them there's this very verbal wink and nudge <laughs> yes because it doesn't he uh, jesse introduced himself as uh mr, uh, mr. howard, howard. <laughs> and so every time maria yes whatever you say mr, mr. howard <laughs> but, but then and then after he goes to take care of the horses she does Hank's in there is saying Jesse Jesse and she goes who's who's this Jesse person and he says Jesse James and she goes that's it just yep (laughs) (laughs) so Maria is aware of who Jesse is and the sheriff magically appears at Maria's door I'm sorry the marshal Right. Well, he stops at Juanita's first. Like I said, oh, he I'm knows sorry. exactly which door to knock on. Marisa, yeah, no, Juanita, that's okay. That's tough for me. Yeah. So, but Juanita answers uh, and tells him that, oh, you know, she hasn't seen him. And no question is made of why this lone woman is in this empty town by herself. Oh, and I like what she says. No, they're not here. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's not like, no, nobody's been here or no, I haven't, I haven't seen anybody. Seen, no, they're not here. <laughs> right. Okay. That's not suspicious either. Mm-mm. Well, up at the mission, Maria chats with Jesse. Your friend is very sick, Mr. Mr. Howard. Ah, yes. Mr. Howard. He has a very high temperature, but my brother is an excellent doctor. Mm-hmm. Won't you come to the library? I want to talk to you. Did Juanita tell you some terrible tales about us? Why did you say that? Well, uh, what did she tell you? Nothing. We ran into the Lopez family and Juanita offered to bring us to a doctor. Nothing else? Should she have told us something else? No, I suppose not. Perhaps you're wondering why we live in this old abandoned mission. The answer is quite simple. My brother and I came here from Europe. We are scientists, perhaps ahead of our time. Our experiments were not always understood or appreciated in our own country, so we had to leave. Finally, we came here. When I realized that out here my brother and I could stop from running, I took possession of this old mission and fixed it up for our work. Well, I must say it's different. Well, McPhee arrives at the mission, and of course Maria opens the door and tells him, that, ah, same thing as Juanita, I haven't seen anybody, no one here. 
Speaking of Juanita, Maria sends Rudolph to fetch her as she wants them all in the mission. And uh, sometime later, I don't know as much as Juanita doesn't trust these people. She apparently was eager to find to come to the house and hang out because sometime later, Hank is recovering and Juanita is checking up on him. He asks her to come with her when he, he and Jesse leave, but Juanita is determined to stay because once the Frankensteins leave, her people will come back. She says it better with that Spanish accent. She but. does. But but yeah. I do, I think it's, you know, so we already know that Juanita likes Jesse, but here Hank mm-hmm. is kind of making his little move. Yeah, you really kind of expect it when, as soon as, when uh, she was nursing him in the woods and he looks up and, oh, who are you? And mm-hmm. you really thought that maybe the romance was going to be between the two really of them. I really did too. I feel like, as weird as it seems, like you like Jesse's character, but he, you just kind of, I don't know. He's so kind of, what's the word I want? He's just kind of a quiet character and he's, there's, he's mm-hmm. kind of unremarkable aside from the fact that he's Jesse James. Right. You know, yeah, there's okay. not a whole lot going on where you're just like, oh yeah, he's clearly he, the hero of this film. Aside from, of course, the title. But yeah. <laughs> 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 Well, I think this film were made for any other reason other than to parry Jesse James with Frankenstein's uh, granddaughter. Not, not, well, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah the, I, <laughs> I was going to say, the, the, a lot's been made. If you read other reviews, they, they, they chide this film and say, oh, they didn't even get the title right. You're like, well, no, they did. I mean, because, yes, she's Frankenstein's granddaughter, but that means that Frankenstein had a son who had a daughter. So technically she is Frankenstein's daughter too. She just mentions her grandfather a lot. And then I, she mentions her father as being an idiot. Yeah, <laughs> and her brother is being like her father. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right. Back on track. Sorry. A little sidebar. Oh, no. um, but anyway, what I was saying is if this film was made for any other reason than pairing these two and doing this sort of, you know, monster movie, Western mashup, I think you'd probably have a um, a, a love triangle kind of scenario or something, and I would. Th- I think you'd probably see someone like Jesse, being that he knows that he's a wanted man and everything, that would sort of bow out. So he, so Hank and, and Juanita would live the yeah, happy I, life I or something. Could see like that. That. Yeah. yeah, but that's given this film a lot of credit. <laughs> well, it is interesting because the the western parts of this movie are shot just as a western. There's not any kind of. And honestly, that's about three quarters of the film. Yeah, we really are. It's the Western part. Yeah, it really is. It's almost like they were making a Western and halfway through they were like, oh, we can't make another movie about J.C. James. Let's just shove some weird thing in there, too, because it it (laughs) makes sense as a Western. It's shot like a Western and it feels very much like one. And the costumes are all like a Western. Even Maria's. Sure. She's in this kind of very Western like a Mexican peasant kind of, you know, theme in her clothing. Mm-hmm. So it, it does almost feel like they were just like, oh, hey, you know what? This is just going to be another Western. Hey, let's do something weird with it. Well, Juanita tells Jesse about Hank's request and is curious if Jesse would want her to go with him. You know what? Today, Hank asked me to come with you when you go. Don't you want me to go with you? It isn't that, Juanita. It's just... Well, I'm waiting. 
when I first met you, I told you I'm Jesse James. I'm an outlaw. You are the outlaw. That I know. But you haven't told me. Do you want me to go with you? There's your answer. That is all I wanted to know. No. I can't not leave this place. I must not. But I had to know that you wanted me. If that isn't just like a wolf. He is so abrupt, too. He's just out of the blue, you know? It's like, oh, this moment. And then, oh, ain't that just like a woman? Or she says, as I must stay, so you must go. It, it right. Now is a perfect time to say, I, her, Juanita's character is, like, kind of painfully written. There's so much <laughs> of the, oh, and the, eh, and the, you know, the gasping and the, the dramatic. Everybody else in this is just kind of a normal character and then everything mm-hmm. with Juanita it's like no you must go and everybody else is yeah, like but I don't need to go and she's like no you can't stay you know? yes <laughs> there is no volume on Juanita's acting it's, it is whether she's happy she's sad or defiant yeah. it's up to 11 she's at yeah. 11 for the whole thing and I, and I, <laughs> I do feel some of that is the writing in the direction but it is sure. what's so interesting is none of the other characters are like that, not even Maria. So it's it's not it could be Estelita's acting style, mm-hmm. or it could have been the direction saying, no, no, this needs to be the dramatic, passionate, you know, Hispanic. Right. Well, they may have been trying to play on the whole, you know, fiery Mexican yes, kind of exactly. thing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, she well, anyway, she tells Jesse that she, they he and Hank, as soon as Hank's able to go they must leave because she doesn't trust the frankensteins at all they've destroyed her village and she fears that they will destroy hank and jesse well maria does ask jesse to stay oh i'm sorry not i'm I'm getting my women messed up you see i did the same thing (laughs) i was i was thinking i might have abandoned my notes i'm like wait a minute no she just said he had to leave oh wait yeah maria (laughs) maria Maria shows up in the, oh, I was going to say the garden, but it's actually the cemetery, the graveyard. Uh, very few graveyards that I know have, like, park benches, but this one does. You don't spend a lot of time in graveyards, do you? I, I guess not. There are benches. But, okay. <laughs> I don't spend My a bone? lot of time in graveyards, but I've been in a couple, and they have benches. <laughs> Maybe it's just because of the conversations that take place in this particular graveyard really are just more suited to, like, a park setting. <laughs> that is true. All right. Yes, well, thank you. Maria, Dr. Frankenstein, shows up after Juanita leaves, and she asks Jesse to stay, and she puts the moves on him. But he shakes his head and says, as soon as Hank is well enough, they are leaving. Well, her affection spurned, or, yep, spurned, 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 yes. Her her affection spurned, Maria hatches a plan to turn Jesse in. She writes a note and asks Rudolph to give it to Jesse, telling him it is a prescription that Hank needs. Rudolph doesn't understand why he would need to do this, as Hank is doing fine. And Juanita knows this, and she sees Jesse all the time, especially at night. Uh, (laughs) And so Maria confesses that it is a note that will tell the druggist who Jesse is and to contact the marshal. Well, not wanting to gamble with Hank's life, Jesse goes ahead and heads into town. 
And this actually brings us, this is like the 56-minute mark, and the film's only an hour and 23 minutes. This is really kind of... Two-thirds, almost. Yeah, it, it's most of the film. And this is kind of where the I would consider the climax kind of begins, though I don't want to really give any more away of the plot. So I think that's where we're going to go ahead and leave it, unless there's anything else you wanted to bring up that takes place after this point. No, and and I know I usually have a couple of things to kind of poke in at the last minute, but no, I think we've covered pretty much everything that I made note of. I do think okay, it's a little great. interesting that you have, you know, the, the it, it, I almost feel like this movie feels a little older than it is because it was made in 66, but Correct. it feels almost more like a 50s Western. Hmm. And, you know, the two women that are both in love with the main character and, you know, in the, the determined the the determined marshal i keep trying to say sheriff marshal i got it right this time <laughs> the determined marshal and then the the good-hearted outlaw it it feels very much like a 50s or a 40s western so it's kind of interesting it, i wonder how much of that was an intentional throwback and how much of it was just kind of copycat writing right uh, absolutely because honestly by the 60s the westerns had kind of fallen out of favor mm-hmm. as far as a genre goes exactly which is kind of why i feel like they just shoved that extra bit in there with frankenstein's granddaughter right and i and i guess you know billy kid and dracula i mean someone had this idea of doing this western throwback mm-hmm. and then throw it into well what was popular in the going i guess monster in the film. 50s into the yeah. 60s with the monster films yep, exactly. and so they, they did this mashup so it ended up being a really inter- interesting kind of mix. And I can't speak on Billy the Kid versus Dracula. But on this one, you know, surprisingly, a fun f- mix. I mean, it was it was a fun movie. It was not a great movie by chance. <laughs> there was plenty to... Uh, to nitpick. To nitpick. Yeah. And you, you could definitely sit around with friends and kind of riff it and make fun definitely. of it and everything. <laughs> but if it's a film you're actually kind of sitting around and just watching... It's not unwatchable, it, and it's actually a little enjoyable. It is. I mean, it's it's that kind of nice, mindless entertainment that that we look for sometimes, <laughs> and it's you know enjoyable. Speaking of uh, nitpick, it, I didn't mention it in my notes, and I, I, I should have. When the first time we see Maria using her equipment, the electrical equipment, you know, she's switching it on. And oh, oh, and apparently uh, this equipment is actually some of the same equipment that was used in Universal's uh, Frankenstein. I believe it. It a lot of yeah. it looked pretty legitimate, with the possible exception of those helmets. Yeah. <laughs> and so this equipment was then, of course, then seen again when Young Frankenstein, the Mel Brooks uh, yes. film. Yes. But it makes this film, I think, is the only time any of this equipment was ever filmed in color. Oh, interesting. <gasps> interesting. interesting. Yeah, because yeah, the same as black and white. How funny. That's right. That's but anyway, so the first time she's using this equipment and she switches it on, and then everyone on the studio has, suddenly has to sit up <laughs> because the equipment is so freaking loud. Oh, really? <laughs> Did you not notice no. that? No. Oh my gosh, yeah, all the things are going. <laughs> and so everyone has to raise their voice to be heard over this equipment. I thought that was hysterical. Maybe that's There's like, realistic. They're, they're, yeah, oh, I'm sure it's very realistic, but it's like, this just goes to show the expense that goes into making this film. It's like, we have a mic. <laughs> well, I guess it's funny because I just, I guess I just assumed that it was supposed to be loud. Oh, I don't know. I, I just thought that, you know, 
with a little bit more money and a, maybe a little bit better of a you know sound editor or something that they would have like maybe you know okay we're gonna better dialogue writer. we're not actually gonna turn on the equipment <laughs> when you're speaking your lines yeah yeah <laughs> so we can turn the rest down exactly. yeah but, oh i thought it was fun yeah no i agree i i think it is interesting i mean you do have some the, the characters that are the most interesting in this are the women in my opinion um mm -hmm. mostly because Juanita is this she's just determined to do the right thing all the time you know so right. if she oh, I can't get too into it cuz we haven't gotten to that part yet. <laughs> but you know she's she's going to go and rescue her brother she's going to save Hank no matter if he's an outlaw or not because it's the right thing to do you know and she's going to stick around even though she knows these people are evil and she's going to help take care of him and she's going to you know do whatever she can that she believes is right. And then you've got Maria who is, I love at one point she says, you know, I, I'm willing to die to make this work, you know? So she's going to put mm -hmm. this helmet on her own head. She says early on, you know, when the brother, when her brother's saying, no, this is, this is insane. Who can we get to do this? And she says, I'll, I'll do it myself. Essentially. I'll put it on my own head, you know, to, to kickstart the dead brain. And he says, that's, that's madness. You could die. And she says, I'm willing to die to make this work. You know, so you have right. these two, the women really are the interesting characters in this. The men are almost kind of a uh, second thought, you know, but it, I, I thought that was in, entertaining or interesting. It definitely fails whatever test that is where you're supposed to make sure that women talk to each other about something besides men. But <laughs> I can't remember what it's called. Off. I, I know, know somebody's yelling it at their radio right now. It's called the oh, I'm sure they are. test. But um, I'm pretty sure it fails that. But that doesn't prevent the women from being a couple of the most interesting characters in this. It just in general, I think it was just a, it's just a fun film uh, based on that alone. I mean, kind of just jumping straight into ratings. This is kind of one of those films that is difficult to rate because it's not a good film. So you it's can't really not. rate it on how <laughs> can't rate it on how good it is i'm kind of i'm just happy that a film like this exists yeah i think you know just for random mashup it reminds me of the the movie outlander you know where you've got space guys and, and vikings and you love it it's just this random kind of mashup that whoever thought it up with you were like where did that come from but in the end it turns out to be pretty entertaining yeah i i don't know i I guess it really, maybe we can't really legitimately give this an Othel. Uh, did you think about it? Did you come up with one for yours? Uh, I'm going to tell you the truth. Most of the time, I kind of come up with the Othel after we talk about it. So oh, gotcha. <laughs> that's why I'm always right. No, I'm kidding. That is why, you know, I, I think my insights maybe get to, I, I cheat a little bit and I get to think about what you say and think about what I say. But as we were talking about it, I was thinking I'd probably give this one a three. You know, I mean, there's, I would say maybe a two and a half, somewhere mm -hmm. between a two and a half and a three. And the two and a half is because of, you know, the previously mentioned musical Indian horses and <laughs> some other, you know, dramatic music just cuts off when somebody walks through a door, that kind of thing. Um, the, you know, the direction, the production values are not extremely good there. You know, it's, it, it seems very simply done. But at the same time, they have some pan shots, you know, where it follows at the very beginning, it follows the mother as she goes over to pray for her son when he's sick, you know, and, and there are a couple of kind of surprising moments in it. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't give it lower than a two for sure. I would probably not give it lower than a two and a half, but just for the entertainment value of it and for some of the characters being 
I think entertaining and interesting to watch. I'd, I'd probably give it somewhere between a two and a half and a three. I'll see. Okay. Yeah. I'm right there. I think along with you, I think before, and I do the same thing you do. I usually come to this with an idea mm-hmm. and then I usually change it by the time we're done. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it's usually for the better. Cause I actually ended up like, Oh, you're right. That is lots, a lot of fun or that's really interesting. And so I, I do change it. And so I think I'm doing the same thing with this one. I sat down thinking I'm going to give it a two, but having discussing it and, and it, listening to what you just said and everything, I think I'm right there with you mm-hmm. that just because of as much fun as it is. And it's one of those films where you see these characters and then you think to yourself, you know what I'd like is another story with these characters. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to see this guy as Jesse James again. I want to see this Marshall going after him again. Uh, it, it's just it's that kind of movie with that kind of character. So, yeah, I've come in with a three with it as well. Well, unless you have anything else, I think we've said all we can say without just repeating ourselves or each other. Or, you know, telling more of the story. I agree. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I almost, I almost kind of dropped a big old spoiler bomb when I was telling you about it. Me too. I almost said something <laughs> so, and then I had to stop. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, by my tongue. So, yep. So that's where we're going to leave it. Threes from both of us for Jesse James meets Frankenstein's daughter. And uh, so, yeah, this is uh, going to be the October episode, so it should be coming out just before Halloween. So if you're listening for Horanhan, have a fun and safe Halloween, everybody. Yes. Uh, don't eat too much candy and get yourselves a tummy ache or anything. <laughs> Although if you do get sick and you're stuck at home, you know, there's four years of Orphan Entertainment that you can listen <laughs> you can to. catch up. <laughs> <laughs> and if you've Absolute. been with us since the beginning, let us know. We'd love to. I know there are people that commented early on on the Facebook page. We had to go back and revisit those. All right, that's going to do it. Well, thank you very much for listening, however long it may have been. And we hope you do continue to do so. Keep downloading uh, and please drop us a line. Send us an email, join our Facebook group and leave a comment there or something. It'd be really awesome to hear from you. But yep, that's going to do it. Lydia, thank you very much. As always, a super fun time. Thank you, Christopher. (laughs) All right, that's it. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Sniff, sniff break. Break. Sniff, sniff break. <laughs> I've been holding it. <laughs> <laughs>